I want to talk to you again this morning about dreaming. I want to talk to you about some things that God has created in all of us so that we can function and have a good life. In the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth, fourth book in the New Testament, uh, John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus speaks these words, the thief, which means the devil. How many believe there's a real devil? There is. There, he's, a real, he's, a real, he's a real spirit. How many believe in a God? How many believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? All of you? Just nod at me. Okay, I don't want, you don't have to do this. But uh, uh, the thief, which is the devil, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And every morning, if you'll watch before you've finished breakfast, or maybe before you've got the day started, the thief is already at your front door knocking, and he's wanting to steal your joy. He loves to get us off on the wrong foot. And, you know, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy he wants, he wants to, he's the author of confusion. He loves to do his own deal at our house every day. But Jesus spoke these words immediately following in the same verse. He said, but I've come that you can have life and that you can have it more abundantly. And I, I just want to say something about Elm Grove today. We, we believe there's more to life than just making a living. We, you know, a lot of people are waiting until they get to heaven. I'm having some heaven on earth to get to heaven on. For instance, I love to have a lot of fun at other people's expense. And you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So I know when I'm dishing it out, get ready, buddy, it's going to come home to you. So we, we just enjoy life. You know, yesterday's history, today's a present, tomorrow may never get here. So why not enjoy life and have it more abundantly? And you know, as growing up as a preacher's kid, I've confessed this many times, and I know the Lord has forgiven me, but I knew as a preacher's kid, being the oldest of four boys, I was going to get blamed for it anyhow, so I'll just tell you something. I just went ahead and done it and enjoyed it. <laughs> Boy, you'll never know what a mess I was when Jesus walked into my life. But he did some credible things, and if you don't like me now, you should have seen me before he got a hold of me. And he's in our life to transform us, and he wants to work on us every day. And, and we just come to his house to get filled up and get encouraged and be blessed. And, and other people come to church many times, and their hearts are broken, and their dreams are shattered, and maybe they've got a child that's gone the wrong way, or maybe a business has gone south on them, or, or maybe they're just, they're just dealing with being depressed all the time. Jesus says, I want to take care of it. I want to help you. I want to give you the strength, and I want you to realize, I want you to see yourself differently than you've ever seen yourself. And here's, you know, sometimes we see ourselves through the mirror, and that's about all we see. Sometimes our, our conscience plays our, our, who we really are and what we should be, and, and the, the old thief is always there to try to throw us under the bus and tell us who we are and why we, should, why we shouldn't have done what we did. And, but I, I want to tell you something. Jesus just wants to walk into our life, and the first thing he wants to do is love you. And then he wants to tell you he created you on purpose. Yes. And he has a purpose for your life. Yes. And nobody can do what you can do. And he's gifted everyone in this building this morning. And his invitation is, is universal. He says, whosoever will can come and drink of the waters of life freely. So nobody's left out. And so as we look at the final message this morning of dreaming it's not the final i just ran out of time easter's on the way and i realized i had to kind of finish up so boy i tell you uh i spent many hours just con trying to condense this message and i'm going to depend on my notes quite a bit this morning because uh, i want to get through by the time you get through is that all right let me ask you something what is a dream what is a dream 
What is, a, what is your interpretation of a dream? Let me ask you this. Can all people dream? Well, you know, you're, uh, maybe I should ask this. What's a nightmare? Anybody ever had a nightmare? Any, anybody ever been a nightmare to somebody? Let me tell you something about a vision. And the Bible talks about dreams. He, he said in the last days, your, your children, your sons and your daughters will dream dreams. Your old men will have, uh, have dreams. Nobody's left out. And we all have dreams. Some people dream of the day that they can step up and have things in life that they've never enjoyed. Some people look forward to the day when they can not have to work anymore and they can retire. And I have grandkids already who say, that are telling us that have been under our roof for about 10 years. I'll be glad when I get out from under your roof so I won't have any bosses. And the Holy Spirit gave me this response. I'm looking forward to that day too. Not really. We all have bosses, don't we? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And one day when you leave home, the government's going to tell you what to do. They're going to tell you how much money you owe them, and they're going to expect you to obey. So, uh, but I want to talk to you as we get started this morning. A, a vision or a dream can be a revelation of God, what, what, of what God wants to do in our lives. It can reveal to us what he wishes that we know and what we have to look forward to. And the Bible says if in this life only we had hope, we'd be very miserable people. But I can tell you something. If you're in a building this morning and you dream of a day when you can accomplish things that you can't accomplish today, it's because God has given you the ability to dream. And here's what God wants to do. He wants to step into our life and develop our dreams and our goals and visions. And there are dreams, goals, and visions that we can't accomplish without his help. And as we, as we live here on this earth, uh, the one thing I want to instill within your life this morning is, is uh, I want you to get a vision of my best friend, and his name is Jesus. And I could, I could talk for the, the rest of my time today about the great attributes about Jesus. The Bible says when, he comes, when he's invited into your life, as far as the east is from the west, your sins are forgiven. There's no big sins and little sins. He just loves us unconditionally. And he's never, he never has gone back to the a sea of forgetfulness and went deep sea fishing. And he, he's never drew up my dirty clothes of what I, what I used to wear when I was in sin. He always loves me in my most unlovable moments. He always lets me know he cares for me. And in times when my shoulders droop and the burdens are heavy on my life and I just don't seem to have the answers that I need to have, he tells me in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Has anybody ever been to the building? You've dreamed and your dreams never came true. You had a vision. You, you saw your, your family going forward and moving forward and accomplishing great things. And one morning you, you woke up and you realized the bucket had a hole in it. Every time I drive through Gary, I'm reminded there's still a few rust, old rusty buckets in our world today. But you know what? Let me just assure you, for those that are over 16, and I fit into that category, unfortunately, uh, you never get too old to dream. If you're of age this morning and you've got a dream, I want to talk to you, okay? I've got some good words I want to share with you, and we're going to follow a gentleman's name by the name of Joseph. We're going to follow his life. And at 17 years of age, he began to tell dreams that his brothers couldn't stomach. In fact, they became so angry with him that the spirit of kill came upon them. 
And we're going to talk this morning about it. The scripture begins in Genesis chapter 37. It talks about a young man that grew up in a dysfunctional home. Uh, he uh, he had, a, had dreams and he told them to the wrong people. He told them to his brothers. And then, then his brothers said, well, we're going to get rid of him. They sold him to the Ishmaelites. They took him down to, to uh, uh, Egypt and sold him on the slave block, all because he had told his dreams. Uh, he sold to, on the slave block as a, and, uh, a gentleman who was high up in, in the kingdom. He was uh, the king's right-hand man. His name was Potiphar. Potiphar buys Joseph from the slave block. He takes him home with him. He realized there's something special about Joseph. The, the, the presence of God was on him. Even in old Bible days, he realized the favor of God did rest on Joseph. And so it, Joseph hadn't been in Potiphar's house many days till he just turned his whole household over to Joseph. And Potiphar was able to go ahead and take care of his business. He worked for the king, and he just didn't have to worry about a thing. He was a great housekeeper. He could cook. He could do the lawn. He could do it all. And you'd think that, that uh, Joseph was well on his way to seeing his dreams accomplished. And he was until one day Potiphar's wife realized how beautiful, how handsome he was. And she decided that since her husband was so busy and he was out of the ha house most of the time, that she would make a play for Joseph. And Joseph didn't go for it. I mean, he, he had goals, dreams, and vision for his own life. He wasn't going to let a beautiful lady sidetrack him. He wasn't going to let his boss down by committing uh, uh, adultery. So he refused. And because of that, Potiphar's wife lies on him. He sends him to prison. But he, he, and he lost his position in Potiphar's house, but he never lost his dream. Two years rolls by. There's a butler and a baker that, that is put into prison by, by the king. And they one night had a dream. And they woke up the next morning and they told Joseph about the dream. And God, in the midst of the prison walls, gave, gave Joseph the interpretation. He said, one of you, uh, you're both going to see some astronomical things. One of you is going to lose your head. And the other one's going back to the palace. Days come, come around. The vision came to pass. One went back to the palace, the other lost his life. And he told the gentleman going back to the palace, he said, when, when you leave the, this prison, please don't forget me. Please, please don't forget me. Well, when the gentleman got back to the palace, he got lost in, in success. He got lost in the freedom of, that had been granted to him. And so uh, we see his life, Joseph's life in prison for two solid years after he had helped two other friends out of their dilemma. As the two walked out that day, Joseph's last words were still ringing in the courts of that prison, please don't forget me. And after two years, that spirit woke up when King Pharaoh had a dream and he needed somebody to interpret it. And the butler who had gone to the from the prison back to the palace says, King, there's a guy that I have forgotten about. He's down in prison. We were in prison, and he interpreted our dream. He's your man. He'll tell you the interpretation of the dream. And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and Joseph comes to the palace. And we pick up on the Scripture in cha chapter 41 of the book of Genesis, and I want to pick out 
passage of Scripture, and I want to read it to you. In Genesis chapter 41, verses 28 through 36, Joseph interprets the two dreams of the king. He said, there's a season coming your way, seven years. It's gonna, the land's going to flourish, and you're going to need to take a fifth of all the crops, and you need to put them in the storehouse because there's a famine of seven years that's going to follow, and if you don't get prepared for it, your country will starve to death and die. You're the man, king. You're going, to, you're going to save your people because God has given you the dream. And so Pharaoh sends the moving bands down to the prison, and one day Joseph moves from the prison to the palace. Not a bad move, would it be? Not only did he do that, but here's what he did. He took, he took uh, Joseph out to where they kept the chariots. And, of course, the king's chariot, you can only imagine what the king's chariot looked like. Gold was available at that time. Probably the wheels were lined with gold. That, you just knew when king, the king rode down the street, nobody rode in his chariot but the king. But here's what he told Joseph. You see that chariot next to mine? That's chariot number two. From this day forward, you're riding that chariot. In one day's time, he left the prison to the palace. Why? Because God had given him the ability to interpret dreams. So as we see, Joseph rides in second chariot, and we follow his life to the age of 37 years of age. And Genesis chapter 42, verse 26 says, He began to prepare the land of Egypt for the seven years of famine. He did exactly what the, what the dream had, given, had been interpreted. A fifth of every crop goes into the granaries. A, a, a fifth of all the supplies that you're growing goes into the granaries. There's coming a time when the famine will hit, and everything in the, in the grain bins and the storehouse will be needed in order to survive. Aren't you glad there's people that still obey? The king, the king oh, oh, had followed Joseph to the T. And we see as the grain bins are filled and the supply shelves are filled, every storehouse in Egypt is full because of one man that could take a dream and interpret it, and it was a correct interpretation. Then the seven years of famine set in, and we pick up on, on Genesis chapter 41, verse 53. It says, Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. Have you ever came to a place in life when it seemed like nothing in your life could fail? Have you, have you ever been in a place financially where it just seemed like you had it made the rest of your life, and one morning the cattle market dropped and you lost everything you'd worked for in a lifetime? A friend of mine had 10,000 head of cattle in the feedlots, got, got caught. He was a very wealthy man. And one year, every, it just looked like for two years he would, had made a ton of money. And the, but the third year, the bottom dropped out and he lost it all. And the, the banks came with moving bands in one day and dispersed to the cattle. A dream was shattered. And I watched the man as he struggled through the years. And, and one thing I can say about him, he, he lost it all, but he never got bitter. Can I say this to you this morning? If you've had dreams that have been shattered, if you had goals, visions of your life, and they haven't come to pass, Allow this to be a day for me to speak into your life. Please do not allow the enemy to steal your ability to allow your situation to make you a better person. Many people get bitter. Listen, don't allow circumstances to dictate your destination. God's Word says He's a present help in time of need. He's always there. His grace is sufficient. It's made perfect in our weakest hour. And He said, let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich because of what I've done. Hallelujah. 
listen to me. Serving Jesus isn't based on my performance. If it was, I'd be in left field without a catcher's mitt. But serving Jesus is all about what he's done. And he said, whosoever will may come to the well and draw water from the wells of salvation until your joy becomes full. And no matter what you're facing this morning, I encourage you, there's a well that never runs dry. You can never overdraw on the well. And God has given it to us so that we can have a life of abundance, so we can release our ability to dream. I dream one day that this building will be packed to capacity because our community is continually being filled with hurting people. And listen to me this morning. I see this church when the walls went up as a hospital for sick people. I saw this as a place where people's lives could be restored. Marriages could be healed. And wayward children can find their way back into the family of God. Give the Lord praise for it. He's worthy of our praise today. Listen to me. If all the church facility was about stained glass and chandeliers, all it would be is a fancy hay barn. And as long as I live, honey... There'll be no hay in this hay barn. You know why? Because God's grace is sufficient. Everything we enjoy belongs to the Lord. We're just overseers. We're just caretakers of it. I've had a lot of young, several young ministers come in and said, and they've said this to me before. You know, I just can't find a place to preach. And I, and and you know, this is this is. I, I'm just confessing to you, so you'll know that I need prayer every day of the week. And I said, well, about 38 years ago, I came out here and uh, just to fill in, and uh, the ministry really began in the men's restroom with a bowl brush on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You know, cleaning God's house is a privilege. Why wouldn't I want to pick up something on the floor in God's house? You know why? Because I, I, mean, I was expecting somebody here today new, and I didn't want you to have to walk by something or look down and wonder how that mess took place. Isn't that awesome? And the Bible says this, a cup of cold water never loses its reward. Right. Isn't that awesome? God has a set of books this morning. And you know, I, I tell you what, there's times when I overdraw on life. There's times when I spend every ounce of energy that I have, but I can tell you something, the blessings of the Lord are never overspent. They add no sorrow, and they always bring life. Following one, seven years of famine began, and Joseph had prepared the people in the land, but all the land of Egypt, all the land of Egypt, there was bread because one man in a prison who the enemy had tried to steal his dreams had interpreted a dream for two other prisoners. Let me say this about, about Joseph. Joseph spent his time, no matter where he went, making other dreams, people's dreams come true. And I just want to encourage you this morning. If you've got some little guys that are following you around and, and they've got dreams, goals, and vision, why not just say, yeah, I believe it's going to come to pass too. And they begin to tell you their heart's desire. Just plug in and say, I, I'm going to stand with you. I believe you're going to be a, a state champion too. If they show cattle and, they, you know, and they, they've got dreams, goals, and visions, and they, they tell you what they see that's going to happen in their life, be the mom and dad or be the supporter and say, you know, I, I can see the same thing happening in your life. Joseph left home. Brothers wanted to kill him. 
sold to the Ishmaelites, went into Egypt, sold on a, on a, on a slave block. Potiphar took him home with him. Everything he did for Potiphar's home was to make dreams and goals and visions take place. And he wound up in prison. In prison, he met two prisoners that needed somebody to enhance their life by being able to uh, tell, express the vision or interpret the vision. And he invested himself in making other dreams come true. Then he gets to the second command. He's, he's, he's uh, next to the, 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 the king, and, and he's there because he wants to make the king look successful. And he tells the king the, the vision and the dreams that he's had, and he tells him the interpretation. All over the earth we see the famine has set in. And Joseph began to open the storehouse, and he sold the food, the grain that was needed. And verse 57 of chapter 41 says, So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the, the, the famine was so severe. A new day is about to dawn in Joseph's life. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 42. It gives us an awesome picture. An humbling picture, but an awesome picture. Ten of Joseph's brothers were sent to Egypt to buy grain because they were out of food. I'm talking about the ten that sold him for 20 pieces of silver to some strangers that put a, put a, a rope around him and led him down the road. He slept by a campfire the first night because his brothers had disowned him and sold him because they couldn't stand his dreams. His brothers find their way to Egypt not knowing that little brother was now second in command. And when they arrived, Joseph recognized them. His brothers bowed to him in honor, but Joseph treated them as strangers, and he spoke very roughly to them. I'm really glad he did. <laughs> Jesus, forgive me, we're going to proceed. Joseph said, where did you come from? And they replied, from Canaan, to buy food. But Joseph accused them of being spies, and he put them in prison for three days. You know, if I'd been there, I would say, e, 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 e. The Lord didn't, I mean, he just didn't give me that privilege. Joseph said, you've come to spy out our land and find our weak spots. But they responded, no, we're honest men. We've come to buy supplies. We're going to starve to death if you don't help us. And on the third day, Joseph spoke to them. Remember, Joseph knew who they were. And here's what he said, do this and you'll live. And Joseph says, I'm a God-fearing man. If you're as honest as you say you are, I'm going to keep one of you in prison while the rest of you take the food back to your hungry families. But you have to bring your youngest brother back to me, confirming the truth of your speech, and not one of you will die. And they all agreed. Then the brothers began to reminisce as they traveled home. And they said, you know, we're paying for our raising, aren't we? Anybody ever said that besides me? didn't know it would cost so much interest, did you? The brothers began to reminisce. They said, we're paying for what we did when we mistreated our little brother, not knowing that Joseph was second in command. That was the little brother. Joseph ordered their sacks to be filled when they arrived. They, they loaded them with grain when they returned, and, uh, and then the money that they had brought to pay for the grain was put back in the top of their sack. 
They begin to make their way home again. And they stopped for the evening, and they, the first one opened his sack, and right in the very top of the sack was the money that they had given to Joseph's cashier to pay for the grain. The second sack was opened, the third sack, and each, each gentleman's, each of the brother's money was wrapped back up in the sack of the grain, proving and speaking volumes that what giving can really do. Not only did Joseph order their sacks to be filled, he ordered the money to be put back, and then he helped them load their donkeys as they began to trip home. And when the nightmare overtook them, they stopped. And in the stopping time, they grew full of fear. They took the money back in the sack, back in their supplies, puzzled and frightening. They said, what is God doing to us? Upon the arrival of home, the son tells the father, his name is Israel, what, what happened and, and how did everything go when you were uh, uh, buying supplies? And they said, Dad, we've got good news and we've got bad news. We, we got supplies. We brought su- supplies that we're going to need. Uh, but uh, they said, the guy that we bought from said, he's a strange guy. And he said, when this food runs out, we can't have any more unless we bring Benjamin back with us which was the youngest brother and the dad says it'll be a day it'll be a cold day in Chester before he leaves his house I've lost one son Joseph was torn I only have his coat and the remains of his coat with blood stains on it where he was devoured if you think I'm going to send Benjamin and take a chance he's my baby and I'll never chance I'll never take another chance but the food ran out, and the, and, the, and the flour bin went dry. And the, and the son said to the dad, Dad, we're going to starve if you don't change your mind. In chapter 43, the famine just continued to get worse. They ate all the food. They, they did everything they could. And then one day, Joseph's brother said, Dad, we don't have any choice in the morning. We're, we're loading Benjamin up. And we're going back to Egypt. We've got to have something to eat. So the following morning it happened. Upon arrival of Joseph's brothers, along with the youngest whose name was Benjamin, Joseph ran into another room when he saw his youngest brother. And he cried and he cried. All the years that the enemy had stolen from him. All the times when brothers should have been enjoying each other had been devoured by the enemy. And Joseph had his cry until his cry was over. And his half-brothers that had been responsible for selling him into slavery was also listening. Joseph gets his emotions together, returns to have an evening meal with his brothers. Joseph sat at his private table, and the brothers were seated at another table not far from him, but it was where he could have a visual sight of all of them. And they were set in stair steps according to their ages. As Joseph surveyed the tables that evening, the brothers looked with wide eyes wondering what the next move would be. We pick up on chapter chapter 44. Joseph orders his house steward, fill the men's bags with food, all they can carry, and replace each one's money in the top of the bag like you did the last time they were here. But then 
he says to the steward, you know my Yeti cup? It doesn't say Yeti, it says silver, so I know it's a Yeti cup. Put that in the baby's, the youngest boy's sack, along with the money, and help them load their donkeys and send them home. The steward followed Joseph's orders. They released Joseph's brothers, and Joseph's brothers has no idea who they're dealing with. Joseph gives them time to get out to the outskirts of the city, and they're about to get out of sight when he said to the steward, you go stop those men. And he said, you tell them to unpack their sack of, of grain off of their mule, and you have each one of them. Start with the oldest and make him untie his sack, and you tell them somebody stole the king's Yeti cup. And when you find the one, you tell them you're, you're going to bring him back, and he'll be the prisoner for the rest of his life. So the steward catches the boys as they are leaving town. He stops them and he says, uh, the, king, the, or, uh, the man in charge of the storehouse says that somebody has stole his silver cup and he thinks at you. And he said, you, you, you presented yourself as very honest people, but he wants to see if you're a man of your word. So I want you, Reuben, to untie your sack first. You're the oldest. I'm going to look and make sure that cup's not in your sack. He came to the next son. He said, untie, I want to look. To the next one, to the next one. He, and he gets to the youngest boy, and he said, boy, i got to look in your sack. And when Benjamin pulled the string and untied his sack, there the Yeti cup was. The brothers screamed. They threw themselves on the ground. They said, this can't be. This can't be. Our dad will die. This is all our, uh, uh, keeps our dad breathing. He, he's, so, uh, he's so invested in the baby of our family. You can't do this. But they did. Have you ever said that in your life? This can't be. But then it happens. So we follow the story as each brother came in grips with the fact that Benjamin had that Yeti cup in his bag unexplainable to them but it happened Joseph's still at home when his brothers get back and they throw themselves on the ground in front of him and Joseph accuses them how can you have done this you, 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 I've, been, I've, I've done everything that I could to help you. I've given you good measure, pressed down and shaken over, and then one of you rebels would steal my silver cup. I can't believe this. And the spokesman for the brother said, What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God is behind this, and he's exposing us because we've been bad boys in days gone by. Can I just stop there and say, God doesn't have to expose anything bad. He saw you in the finishing stages and knew all of your capabilities before your mother ever received a seed in her womb for you to be planted. Don't ever let the enemy tell you you're worthless, that you're no good. Don't ever let him sell you a bill of goods that you don't have a place in the kingdom. Don't ever let him sell you the bill of goods that you're a nobody and you're going nowhere. 
there's nothing like the Word of God. It's a lamp unto your feet. It's a light to your pathway. It's, it's what we hide in our heart daily that keeps us out of sin and it keeps us walking in straight and narrow. It's a thing that encourages us. It's a thing that gives us power to become an overcomer and do the things that God wants us to do. Joseph says, as he looks at his brothers, his brothers say, we're guilty and we're ready to be your slaves. And Joseph said, no, I'm not that kind of a guy. I told you I was a godly man. All of you can load up and go on home except for Benjamin. And Judah, the oldest, said, he began to plead with Joseph. He said, please don't make us go back and watch our, dad, our father die in grief over this sin. In, in chapter 45, Joseph can't contain himself any longer and keeping up a front before all of his attendants. He cries out. He leaves everyone, and he goes into the room again, and he cries, and he cries. There's no one but Joseph and his brothers, and Joseph identifies himself to his brothers. And this is where it really gets good. Boy, I wish I could have preached for another month on, on this scripture. I'm going to encourage you to go to Genesis chapter 37, and you follow the life of Joseph and how God did great things and how he, in the most merciful, unmerciful hours, how God steps in. He, ch he changes the darkest hour into a glorious light. He, he allows rain to fall when our lives are so dry. He gives us hungry, uh, hunger. He satisfies the hunger that only he can satisfy. Joseph begins to cry as he reveals himself who he is to his brothers, and he says, come as close as you can. And they moved in close, not knowing what the next move would be. And he said, I'm Joseph, your brother that you sold in Egypt. But I don't want you feeling bad, and I don't want you blaming yourself. God's behind all of this. He just sent me ahead of you to save your lives. And there's been a famine in the land for two years, and there's still five more to come. But I've got to tell you, I'm going to take care of you. Can you see the picture of Jesus in this scripture this morning? How such a famine in our land today, and yet God's saying to the church, I'm going to take care of you. We see such a lack of, we see such lawlessness that the Bible said would happen, and, and little did we prepare for what's happening in America today. And the house that's divided can't stand, and we see America divided right down the center. And, and there's not enough dirty words to say about one another. And, and people get on the, on the TV and call each other all kinds of names. And, and slander and, and lying is just a way of life in America today for some people. But the Bible says you can know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen. And it's the truth you act on. You see, this is true. But you've got to act on it before it's going to act for you. And, and every day you just have to say, God, I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to put this in my heart. Lord, it's a lamp under my feet. I'm, I'm walking through some of the darkest hours I've ever walked. But God, you know where I'm at. And you know what I need. I, I have need of. So you said you were going to take care of it. So I just say, thank you, Jesus. You're my best friend. Joseph says to his brothers, you see, it's all part of God's plan. He paved the way so that you wouldn't starve to death. It wasn't you that sent me here. God sent me. 
I want you to go home and get my dad. Is he still alive? I want you to tell him, Joseph, that coat that you guys brought to him, it was smeared with a goat's blood and made him think that I had been killed by a, a wild animal. I want you to go home and be honest with dad. And I want you to tell him, Joseph's still alive. Dad, you're not going to believe what we're going to tell you. He's the second in command in Egypt. Dad, the granaries are full. The supplies are full. And he sent us after you. And he said, load up everything we got. We're going to Egypt, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make it because somebody has looked out for us and made a way where there seems to be no way. Pharaoh, the king, here's what's happening. And he says to Joseph, Joseph, go tell your brothers I've got a better plan. Tell your brothers to go get their dad, but don't stop there. Bring all, all their herds, their cattle. You tell them to come on down to Canaan land. And he said, you tell them that I've got the choice river bottom ground, and we're going to give the best to your folks because God used you to step into my life and save our country. Types and shadows of Jesus. I'm running out of time. Chapter 46 through 49 are beautiful scriptures that continue the story of this family, but I want to bring you the message to a close this morning by asking, this morning as we see the picture of Joseph, rather than becoming bitter, rather than being filled with unforgiveness, you see the love of Jesus that was shed abroad at Calvary rolling through this man even before Jesus dies on the cross. He's a type and a shadow of the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of this world. Can I close with these questions, this question this morning? Is it time for all of us to dream again? Maybe it's time for someone in this congregation this morning to bury a hatchet of unforgiveness. Please listen to me this morning. When Joseph said, I'm your brother that you sold into Egypt, but don't be grieved or angry with yourself because God was in the plan all the time and he used you to send me here. Do you hear unforgiveness? Going to the slave box, going to Potiphar's house, and a lady, a, a nice looking lady, lied because he wouldn't have sex with her. So she sends him to prison. She lies, and they believe a lie. And then he interprets dreams for guys in prison, and they leave. Two years later, somebody remembers him. After all he's been through, do you hear any unforgiveness as a part? of our life this morning. Jesus says, forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is a necessity. And listen, I want you to stand this morning. It's 12 o'clock. I want to borrow about five minutes from you, but I want everybody to stand in this building this morning. I've got a couple of more things I want to say to you before we uh, have our closing prayer this morning. But I want to speak to all of you th today because we're all human and we've all dealt with whether we're going to forgive or whether we're not going to forgive somebody who's broken our heart.
shattered our dreams, led a child astray. Or maybe you're here this morning and your best friend has walked out on you and just seemed like a... It's a situation that only God can help you with. Number one, forgiveness is a cleansing of your soul, not a whitewashing of your spirit. Many Christians whitewash their minds, say, I want to forgive, but I'm just not ready to do that yet. And what they actually mean is, I want to be whitewashed. However, when forgiveness is mentioned in the New Testament, it's a total cleansing from sin. And it only takes the blood of Jesus to cleanse us and purify us. It's not only, not only required that we confess it, but we've got to believe that what we're confessing is exactly the direction we're going. And when we do that, we cleanse the, our life is cleansed. And when a friend or a family makes a mistake, we don't rub it in. We rub it out by the power of forgiveness. Don't shout me down now. I'm doing real good. I'm speaking to myself, okay? Don't look at me real religious. I want you to get this point. Forgiveness is the compass of our soul. And it only means to liberate us from the prisons we create for ourselves when we refuse to forgive. Forgiveness is a full pardon from the pain and the penalty of sin. Forgiveness is a fresh start, another chance, a new beginning. Forgiveness is a cancellation of a debt. It's a key that unlocks the door of resentment and releases the handcuffs of hatred. Forgiveness is a supernatural power that breaks the chains of bitterness. Forgiveness is not a soft-hearted foolishness. It's a first step towards spiritual health, physical health, mental health. Forgiveness is born as an act of confession, uh, followed by the plunge into the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunge beneath the blood and lose all their guilt and stain. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to lead us in one of the most powerful prayers that we can pray. And the reason that I know this is because I've prayed this many times. But as your head is bowed, and I want to say one thing before I lead this congregation in, this, in the Lord's Prayer this morning. I say, Father, allow each one of us to know today that the freedom to dream again can only be found in forgiveness. Help us today in Jesus' name. I want to lead this congregation this morning in the Lord's Prayer. And if you'll say this prayer, if you're here this morning and there's an ounce of unforgiveness in your heart, if you'll pray this prayer with me this morning and believe it in your heart, God will set you free not only will he set you free, he will allow the blood of Jesus to do the cleansing process that only can be done in our life. Join me as we say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. While heads are bowed, no one looking around, can I just ask a simple question? 
please, please know this. If you need additional prayer, please never hesitate to come forward after the benediction. But as nobody's looking around other than myself, let me just ask this question. How many prayed that prayer and you really needed to do, pray that prayer this morning? And you just say by an uplifted hand, Pastor, thank you this morning. Oh, God bless you today. God bless you today. God bless you today. Father, make your face a smile on this congregation this morning. Lord, you are such an awesome God. And I thank you for the power that you give us to forget. I thank you for the power you give us to forget. And the Apostle Paul penned these words very carefully, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press, Lord, as we leave this place, let us make a decision. We're going to press toward the mark. We're not going to be sidetracked. We're not going to allow somebody else to decide our destiny. We're not going to allow the enemy to, to contaminate our spirit with unforgiveness. But we walk free in Jesus' name because of the blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's family said, Amen. Amen. God bless you today. You're dismissed. We love you. Great to have you in the service this morning.